0: Feels lonely in here. It is without it's a little, uh, without our cohorts. I know. We'll have last, to Get them back. Someday. Yeah. Last time, last time we ran this, it was just me and Steve. You know, and uh, that was fun. It was also the longest <laughs> podcast <that> we've done. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm gonna blame Steve for that. Um, always blame the guy who's I not in the. I will. I'll room. blame the new guy. Yeah. Steve's just so long-winded. <laughs> Stacy is amending this right now. I think maybe, but anyway, <laughs> I'll stop. I'll stop the banter and we'll move directly into what we're talking about today. Um, we should probably introduce ourselves. Although, if you're listening to the podcast, you pretty much know who we are. My name's Keith Knight. I'm uh, one of the pastors at Stonebridge Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa.
1: Brandon Lavering also work here.
0: Also work here. <laughs> he won't say he's a pastor. So well, I'll I'll say. It. I know. Yeah, I just thought you were being, you know, deferential there. Just work here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We do work here. And uh, part of our work is to exposit um, scripture. And uh, so now we're back in. We're out of the topical Mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I like to call call it a topical series. Here's the great thing about the series that we went through with culture and strangers and exiles is that instead of having completely separate, um, you know, themes mm-hmm. for each, each sermon has basically came down to the same application point i, I love that
1: <laughs> about like five or six weeks in i started getting these notes from people it's like wait a second the answer is the same the every same. week yeah it's the gospel i'm like
0: yes genius yes. <laughs> it's genius which we're, really i mean we're a one trick pony if if we're ever preaching a sermon where the gospel is not the direct application we're doing something oh wrong. absolutely yeah. absolutely so uh, I I was I think a lot of people I even had a, a guy comment this morning uh, how helpful that series mm-hmm. was for people um, to be able to navigate those things and so it's good it's good to um, you know we're we're consider ourselves to be an expositional teaching mm-hmm. church but it is good um, to 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 almost exposit the Bible well, according to culture sometimes, I, right? Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and that's
1: kind of the way that I try to approach quote-unquote topical stuff. Yeah. They're really self-standing expositions applied to a particular subject, right? you sure. know, so we're, we're always wanting to defer to God's word, to say what his word's saying, uh, but as shepherds, we need to help, you know, uh, help our people uh, make those connections mm-hmm. between what it's saying in everyday life, and I think there's a good occasion for that uh, every now and then to say, sure. "All right, what's you know what's the subject? For instance, you know, most likely I'll probably do a, a short, like three week series on giving and stewardship mm-hmm. this summer. Mm-hmm. Not because the church is the church needs money or something right, like that, right. but because it's part of our discipleship. It's yeah. part of our worship. Like we've we've done different things on um, evangelism yep. or, or or whatnot. So there's a there's a place for those kinds of teaching. Uh, teachings, but uh, the main diet being working through books of the Bible. Jesus didn't give us a systematic theology book yeah. as his revelation. Uh, I love systematics, much to the chagrin of many people. <laughs> <laughs> I love systematics. Don't get me wrong. He didn't give us a you know an instruction manual. He g- he gave us his divine, re- divinely revealed word in all sorts of genres, mm-hmm. um, and so to hear it best, we think we need to work through it as it's been given to us, mm-hmm. um, and and not just as academics, but to bring it to bear on life. And, right. and so we're back at the Gospel of John, baby. We are
0: back in the Gospel of John, and uh, I really appreciate you giving me thirty-seven verses this last week. It was great. <laughs> My favorite. No, this is not true. <laughs>
1: kind of true. My favorite line of the sermon was, you know, handing me 37 verses is like giving the keys of a, like somebody, a the keys of a Lamborghini
0: yeah, and yeah, say, yeah. keep it under 45. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like. It's like, what? Especially in six, you know, as we get into John chapter six, um, one of the things that I mentioned, I actually mentioned, we would talk about this in the podcast this week, mm-hmm. which is so that's what we're going to dive into, but the thread the thread of God's sovereignty yeah. in general, but also specifically in so- his sovereignty and salvation and, and drawing people and saving people and keeping people. It's it's so there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even mentioning like systematic theology, what tends to happen to us as human beings is we we we. Uh, because we're influenced historically by systematic theology, we tend to even miss what some of the main points might be in the passages for the sake of the systematic theology that's hovering under the surface. So this past week, the main point was Jesus is the source and substance of life. Look, Mm -hmm. all this bread that you were waiting for, it's me. If you want to dine on something and be filled forever, it's me. But as we read that, the moment that people see, you know, uh, all the Father has given to me, yeah. I will yeah. never turn away. I'll raise him up to last day, right? So when we see statements like that, or no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, yeah, those statements pop out to us mm-hmm. because of this um, uh, this historic battle within Christianity True. of what what we would. W- we reduce it down to like what we would call Calvinism versus Arminianism. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that is an entirely fair um, way to reduce it down just sure. because I think Calvinism is one of those things where it's like Inigo Montoya. You keep <laughs> using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, so there, but, but, but more generally, divine sovereignty versus free will
1: or correct. human volition or yeah. whatever. And it's yeah. a real tension. Like, it there's is a no, real tension. There's no question that right. you see both of those things affirmed in Scripture and then you see them from side by side in the yeah. Gospel of John. Yeah. You must believe. Yeah. But you can't believe unless I draw you. Right. Well, wait a second. Which is it? You're you trying know? to
0: trick me? Yeah. <laughs> so
1: so I think you're wise to kind of say, well, let's let's wrestle with this a little bit more because that can be yeah. hard to do from the pulpit. It is. And so...
0: Well, uh, it's hard yeah. to do from the pulpit in a way that's going to satisfy people because if you're not mentally prepared for it, like with a podcast, you can come back and sit down, you can listen to it, get frustrated, come back, listen to it again. <laughs> uh, or you can ask pursuant questions that a sermon, there there was no good way. So, and this is one of the things, I'm, I'm going to say this, because this is one of the things where, you know, we as much as we can before the weekend, we'll submit our notes for the sermon mm-hmm. uh, to each other mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. say, hey, here's my notes, hoping maybe somebody will look through them and at <laughs> least like know how to <laughs> s- scale the liturgy or give feedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this week I would looked at my own notes and I was like, maybe I should change that. And then you chimed in and said, I think that, the in initially it looks combative, like that you're anticipating people to be combative to this mm. rather than just confused, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was so helpful mm. because that is exactly how I was looking at it. Somebody's going to be sitting here, and I'm going to have to defend God's sovereignty. Mm. Mm. The idea of defending God's sovereignty <laughs> is itself a non-sovereign concept. My Arminianism <laughs> is showing. Uh, no, but um, but that is very helpful. To back up and say, I could waste my time trying to argue with people who may not even have an argument with me. Sure, in yeah. the sermon, in the sermon, that's good, um, and that's good. That's that's good well, lessons I, for preaching. And to I expository. think
1: related to that, what you did really well, because and in, in one of the reasons again, we we are committed to exposition. Uh, It's very easy when preaching to just kind of zero in on what we find interesting and spend all of our real estate in the sermon there, or all of our capital there. But you, even though this was interesting, and you recognize as a pastor this is going to be something I got to touch to or touch on, uh, you you recognize that, but this is not the main thing he's trying to get across. Right, and so you you stayed to the author's trajectory and structure and emphasis. And again, that's one of the disciplines that exposition forces mm-hmm. us to do. I mm-hmm. preach about what the author's emphasizing rather what I than what I find interesting or, right. or confusing or whatever right. it might be. So so I, I thought that was really well done. Which then is nice having these kinds of occasions. Okay, sure. so that is something worth talking more about, yeah, even so though I couldn't go there then. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so in, in going there, you know, the so the the two where, what it comes down to is something that, you know, the audience then, the problem they had was primarily with, we don't like how this guy who's claiming to be the Messiah is operating. You can't be from heaven. We see you. We know your parents. <laughs> they weren't dealing with, they weren't like, wait a minute, nobody can come to God unless God, dr-. Th- there wasn't a problem with that. Yeah. That wasn't a hiccup. At that point, it was it wasn't as offensive to them as the concept of God being sovereign. What was offensive to them was the concept that this guy's claiming to be God. Yes, And yes. so, but but we modern modern audiences to this modern Christians and um, some more than others, what we are going to get hung up on is that systematic teaching of okay, well, wait a minute, what does he mean when he says nobody can mm-hmm. come to me unless the Father draws him? What does that mean? So that means I don't yeah. have you know a human being doesn't have the free will choice to come to god like we're not just blank slates and we say hey i want to sign up for this i've got the information you know you're telling me this is all like god has to do something in us mm-hmm. before we can even respond that concept is evidently not a problem for john because he keeps talking about yeah. it. he's going to talk yeah. about it again in this the end of can talk about it in my passage right he'll
1: talk about it again in chapter eight yeah. uh, and other places
0: so this is like there really is has to do with like r- reason coming on the scene in terms of human civilization oh. to you know to the degree to which if we need to be able to make sense of these things mm-hmm. um, but the trick is right so i'm, I'm going to start i'm going to start with uh, something from the london baptist confession okay if you're cool with that <laughs> OK, just because I could try to talk around what we're talking about when we're talking about this doctrine. Mm-hmm. But um, when we talk about God's sovereignty, what they the old, old school guys, the old heads would refer to it as God's decree. OK, okay. so this is uh, similar to the Westminster, but of God's decree. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears His wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing His decree. Mm. Okay, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a there. lot going on in there. But basically, the idea is. Um, that in all these confessions and it, it goes on to talk specifically about, um, uh, he doesn't decree anything because he foresaw it as future. Uh, he, so the, he didn't look and say, like, oh, well, that's this is what going they'll do. To happen, so I'm going to do now. this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that he, you know, the decree of God, um, and it even goes to far to say, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace, others being left to act in their sin to their just condemnation, to the praise of his glorious justice. Mm-hmm. So in both his decrees and in salvation, mm-hmm. it's God's will that is the primary. Yeah. Worker, yeah, and it's either the will towards some sinners to um, eternal life, or some to uh, s- eternal justice by yeah. his own degree.
1: Yeah, and what I love, uh, and I'm not near as familiar with the London Baptist Confession right. as you are, but w- in what you just read, and I think in what you, how you handled the subject briefly in the sermon, but you know, that confession, uh, it allows the tension to stand, mm-hmm. like it affirms and and. Which I think where we get into trouble with something like this is we're trying to be consistent in our from our own limited perspective, right, which means we end up fusing things together that don't necessarily belong mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. drawing conclusions that we think flow logically but don't actually in god's economy, right so affirming God's divine superintendence of of salvation and so on, yet also affirming that doesn't diminish from the reality of human volition or free will in any way right now i'm sitting there like my brain's exploding (laughs) how does that happen but that that's you know we Uh. see we see all of these things in scripture we see that god is not the author of evil in any culpable way right right Yet there's some sovereignty over it in sure. superintending and using it. You know, John, or excuse me, Genesis 50, verse 20. Yeah. Uh, what you intended for
0: evil, God intended for good. You know, there's yeah. all... Amos 3, 6, if there's a calamity didn't that, that takes place, is it not from the Lord? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so
1: <clears throat> allowing ourselves to hold the tension mm-hmm. and, and not ha- feel the urgency to resolve it, um, that's hard. It is hard. But I think that's where we find a healthy posture in these things mm-hmm. where we can affirm all that scripture affirms without denying what it also affirms. Right. Like it's it's mutual affirmations
0: that are not mutually exclusive as we right. might think they might be. Right. But but the way that we so where where we where where I feel like so this is I'm trying to put on a theologian hat and a pastoral hat at the same yeah, time here. Yeah, yeah. Where we fall into problems is when we try, when we try to the detriment of God's sovereignty to resolve or, um, defend the freedom of the creature, Yeah. yeah. we create really bad theological operations that affect us practically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw some stuff out here that is going to be, you, first, I'm going to start with a quote from R.C. Sproul. Okay, so Spurl says um, if there is one renegade molecule in the universe that is outside of God's control, then that molecule thwarts God's will by definition. So either God, if if there is one molecule mm-hmm. in the whole universe that's doing its own thing, that is not superintended by the will and the directive of God, like then God's not really all powerful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so um, this this conversation of like where we get trapped in, you really you really only have, there's, there's a tension, but you really only have one of two options. Even Either the choices of human beings become yeah. in full control yeah, or the sovereignty of God is in full control. Yeah, yeah, right?
1: absolutely. And, and I think the, the error we can make on the other side of like, try, so sometimes we're trying to save human volition right. from God's sovereignty. Right. Sometimes we're trying to save God's sovereignty from human volition. Right. Now, like you said, one has to be the lead foot. Correct and God Mm -hmm. wins that. Sorry, that's just unambiguous from Scripture. Yeah, (laughs) Um, but where we can overcorrect would be we just as you know the the defending human volition can uh, I think what did you put a a theological problem? We run into an ethical problem with uh, uh, defending human defending God's sovereignty from human volition. We Mm -hmm. can end up making God culpable for sin. In, in yeah, our yeah, configurations, James won't let us do that. Right? No, exactly. Let and no again, one that, say
0: when he is t- tempted, basically, oh, this is God's tempting. Exactly. No. So
1: somehow, <laughs> in his, and this is why I love the end of Romans eleven. Like you, you get chapters nine through eleven, Paul which are really some of us. like He's the like, deepest, yeah. <laughs> the deepest theology as he wrestles with some of these very subjects. But then his conclusion. Is, you know, who has known the mind of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His ways are inscrutable. I'm like, okay, thank you. You're getting you're saying you don't quite get it all either, and, yeah. and neither can we, and I'm okay with that. But we we can overcorrect into again making God responsible for things that scripture says he's not responsible for. Right. Um and and again, I can't put that on a flow chart on a whiteboard and explain all of the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize I'm operating from an earthly perspective and f- with a mind that's tainted by sin mm-hmm. and uh, just as a creature mm-hmm. and, and there is something higher as in in God's wisdom and uh, as the creator who stands over it all mm-hmm. he's able to see things and uh, that we can't see plan things that we can't understand mm-hmm. and that's part of the faith I think is sure. okay if scripture affirms his sovereignty that you know as Ephesians 1 he's working out all things according to the purpose of his will. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, Scripture also affirms that humans have a responsibility to trust God and are guilty for their sin right. if they don't. Right.
0: Those things are all true at the same time. They are all true at the same time, and the, the, the tension therein becomes... You know, for a lot of people, the tension becomes again weighted to like, well, who's responsible for this? Is it God or is it me? we love especially to find out especially to when it comes to <laughs> salvation. And the yeah. w- the way that I found it helpful, um, actually, there's two two things. I'm going to do th- do this as a precursor because because I'm a weirdo. Um, I I uh, was, you heard it here. Folks. I was listening to a discussion between uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> Brian Green... And uh, a neurobiologist, I forget what her name was, and they were talking about free will as, as scientists, as astrophysicists and not religious people at all. Yeah. Right? And uh, so Brian Greene is like, look, uh, all the molecules in your body are, are determinedly uh, operating according to the laws of the universe. So they're just doing what they're supposed to do by the laws of the universe. So when you think you're actually making a choice, it's actually the molecules in your body that are making it. So a he's choice. like a super like, close system nothing, naturalist. There's nothing, there's nothing, like the, the concept of free will. free will was an evolutionary mechanism to help us cope with the fact that we're really not in control of anything. <laughs> Which is fascinating. Is fascinating this is a guy who's would, not, yeah. is not theologically grounded in Christianity or anything, not even deism, right? So like... And then, you know, Tyson's pushing back. Well, what about this? Can't there be some sort of a rogue thing that comes out of these other things because we don't know everything? Well, then this neurobiologist pops up and she says, hey, listen. Um, There have been these magnetic resonance imagery scans of brains. And and there have been these... uh, experiments where people are told you're going to be given a choice and you'll push a button according to their choice but when when you have determined that you're going to push the button let us know and then push the button so that we can see what's happening in mm-hmm. your brain before they say i'm going to make this choice the blood flow is already going to the neurons in the brain that are going to cause the body to, to react mm-hmm. so what they said from a neurobiology standpoint so the neurobiologists. Mm-hmm. The the stuff in your body is doing something before you're actually even having the thought. Yeah. Okay. And so she says, "We would land where green does." There's free will is an illusion. Interesting. So so now so I, I get get and right now you're you might you might be brain dead or you're detaching yourself from what I'm saying. But what I what I'm trying to get at here is even with like, there there is this idea that you know, it's just oh, it's all pre, all these things are predetermined either mm-hmm. naturalistically or you know theologically within a so my my treatise initially to that okay so right so if if you are looking at control mechanisms of the world what do you feel more comfortable with the the molecules according to the laws of nature or a supremely wise loving Mm -hmm. (laughs) benevolent god who is who is determining those things right so and don't take this to say that i'm like (laughs) fatalistic or deterministic I'm saying that to prime the pump for this conversation on free will because there's a lot of people that you would engage that are atheistic or different faith and and you would talk about what free will you have and they'd be like you don't have free will Mm. you know so but within the context of good theology and biblical teaching what we do see is that there it's not that there's no such thing as being able to make decisions Mm -hmm. that are Mm -hmm. free it's whether or not there's actually goodwill So the conversation is not whether or not there's free will, it's goodwill. Mm -hmm. And the conversation that's happening in John chapter 6 is largely determined on these people who have already rejected Christ, right? And Jesus gives them the the idea is that like, well, you're basically rejecting me because the Father has rejected you. Mm -hmm. Like unless Mm -hmm. the Father draws you in. You have no idea of understanding. With the treatise there, right, we start by thinking, sometimes as Christians, we fall into the idea that we're a blank slate when we're born. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah, yeah. that's where I think a lot of our mistake comes in when we're having the problem with the tension between God's sovereignty and our free will is we assume That we have the freedom to make a good choice when Scripture clearly says that we are dead in our sins and Mm -hmm, trespasses mm -hmm. you know Ephesians chapter 1 starts out with the sovereignty of God and salvation but it also talks about being us being Mm -hmm. dead in our sins and trespasses yeah and so what we tend to get hung up on is primarily I think with sovereignty and free will and and salvation we get hung up on our free will not understanding that our will is not free like, when, when we are born, we are born into sin because of the fall. So we're mm. not born into the freedom to see God as he is. Scripture is very clear that if we're yeah, going to see We don't, to don't see start like Adam God, did. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have a blank slate to look at God, know his character, and even they did and rebelled. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so th- when our starting point in terms of humility... It's not just, can we hold the tension of God's sovereignty and free will? It's, do we understand that our will is not truly free? As Martin Luther wrote, the bondage of the will. Our will is in bondage to sin. So I can't view things the way that I would love to view things. I don't view my life primarily without the Holy Spirit moving, without the Father drawing Mm -hmm, on me. mm -hmm. I don't view life primarily as being under God. I view it as being under me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's That's
1: our fallen default, which is one of the reasons why I... I kind of prefer the language of human volition right. over free will because right. it, it that, that phrase can be, you know, you can load any phrase, right? <laughs> right. But but human volition, we make r- real choices, sure. real decisions real choices. with real yeah. consequences, right. right? But because of sin, because uh, those choices are somehow still yet super intended and overseen by mm-hmm. God, right like they're real choices, they're real decisions, um, they're, you know... But God is, is is still at work in there, and I think you know, um, the the simplest way I've and I think you said something similar Sunday. The simplest way I've tried to explain it to folks is that God gets a hundred percent of the credit for my salvation, mm-hmm. and I bear a hundred percent of the responsibility for my sin. Right. <laughs> <I> mean, that's <laughs> right. that's what I see in Scripture. Right. 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 Um, and and to your point with Ephesians two, if we're gonna take seriously what scripture describes about our sin, nature, and our fallen condition apart from Christ, then we are hopeless apart from God intervening. Mm-hmm. Like dead people can't raise themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, right. it, it just dead people can't do that, yeah, right? Yeah, you're dead. It's you're like dead. when, when uh, preachers, you know, the, the old school more... Um arminian preachers would be like you know you're drowning in the water and like uh the life preserver's been thrown you just got to grab the life preserver it's like no bro you're dead (laughs) you're not floating in the water you are dead like jesus has to put that life preserver around you pull you out administer cpr and bring you to life like that's not you're not drowning you're drowned
1: yes and (laughs) and yet somewhere in that i still have to receive him right you know and so so you know that's where that's the tension that is the tension right um, and, you know, back to John 6, you, you, were, you were talking about that a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things that I think is happening in the text, where in terms of why does Jesus go there? Like, if this is not an existential crisis for his audience the right. way it is for modern readers, why right. does he go there? It seems like a big part... Of what he's doing is explaining the unbelief, uh, and I, you've already yeah. kind of mentioned this. Yeah. Explaining the unbelief yeah. of those who are rejecting him, like you just said. Right. You know, you're 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 rejecting me because the Father has not drawn you, right. Right? right? And and when we get to the the last part of John six, which I'll look at this Sunday, uh, verses sixty to seventy one, he goes there again, and he talks about you know. Um, uh, how he's the one with the words of eternal life and so on. The uh, spirit is life. Flesh has no right. help at all. No help, yeah. Uh, but he said, this is uh, John six sixty four. But there are some of you who do not believe. Yeah. And then there's this parenthetical explanation. For Jesus knew from the beginning hmm. who those were who did not believe. Yeah. And who it is who would betray him. Yeah. Like, We can sit there, or even the audience uh, hearing his speech, uh, can sit there thinking, this is all catching Jesus off guard. Right. Um, Unbelief, why would anybody not believe? How could anybody not believe such an offer so good and so on and so forth? How could anybody betray him? And and John, one of John's burdens in the story is to remind us that none of this catches Jesus off guard. Mm-hmm. Like this was always part of the plan, mm-hmm. because then he reiterates something from the passage you preach in verse sixty five. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's yeah, grant, right. granted him by the Father. Right. Right. And and so, uh, John wants to defend. I don't know if that's the right word. Just explain, but I to think, explain right? to his readers. That uh, the fact that there are some who don't believe in Jesus, and eventually one who will betray him to his death, yeah, it's not a surprise. Not a surprise, right? It's part of the plan. It's It's like it's not like Jesus was like, I didn't see that coming, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And which you know, it might be unsettling for us initially, but that's wonderfully good news that the that the plan of God for the salvation of His people cannot be thwarted. It will not be thwarted. Yeah, that something so disruptive as one of his inner circle turning on him and betraying him. Yeah, that would, in any other situation, that's like game over. Crap. Yeah, you know, we, we've lost. Yeah. but that that was always part of the design for the salvation of people. Yeah, which is just you know, and and that's one thing I often go to like for us. It, it can be really hard. How can God use evil? How can God uh, be at work to superintend. However, whatever, whatever category you want to put on it, mm-hmm. that you know, uh, in terms of God's overseeing of evil in some way, yeah. and, and it's just like that seems so hard and wrong and confusing. But then look at the cross. Like the greatest evil in human history yeah. became the means of the greatest good in human history. Right. So if he can use the cross, the the full-on rebellion murder of God in the flesh Mm -hmm. and bring the greatest good of salvation through that, then I think we can trust him to superintend all the other stuff somehow.
0: Yeah. and According to his purpose. Right, and continue to hold it. You know, in Acts, Peter makes it very clear. Like, y'all are responsible for this, but this was God's plan all along. (laughs) So if you think, you're like, oh, look what we did. He's like, yeah, look what God did, dummies, but you're still responsible for this, so you need to repent. Yes. It's weird, man. Yeah. And then you, you know, you've got the other stuff too, like where, uh, when, when sovereignty comes up, I never want to help people, um, be comfortable. I want to help people be uncomfortable mm, mm-hmm. because uh, what Christians, what we have to get better at is being comfortable with the uncomfortability of the sovereignty of God. Mm. Like if you could, I, I think I said this last this way, if you could understand fully understand how these things happen mm-hmm. you would be god mm-hmm. but you have to you we are the creature yep. so like i think it's i can't remember if it's first kings or second kings so pardon me for that but when god decides he's gonna have you know he's asking the angel his angelic you know counsel he's like yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. what do you guys what do you guys how, how are we gonna how are we gonna get ahab to to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah to die and one of them says hey i'll go be a lying spirit in the mouth of his <laughs> prophets and god's like yeah it sounds good <laughs> which is trippy in general and then The way that Ahab's killed is that he's hidden in armor. They don't know that it's the king. Yeah. Right? And a random, it very clearly says a random arrow just flying through the air goes right in the crack of his armor where the most vulnerable part of his body is, and he dies. If you don't think that that God's orchestration is magnificent and completely Mm mind-blowing, go read the Old Testament. Read about Pharaoh. Read about Canaan. Like, all the ways that, that God superintended... But there is not one time where those people are not held responsible for their unbelief. Yeah. There is not one time where cr- their salvation or their their saving is credited to them. It's always credited to God, yeah. and their rebellion is always credited to them. You ask me, how can these things be? That's where you go to Romans 9 through 11.
1: Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How right. unsearchable are his judgments right. and how inscrutable his ways. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Habakkuk's another great Oh, example yeah, Habakkuk's at, great You too. know, where yeah. he sits there kind of lamenting what seems like God's lack of response to the injustice in Judah. Yeah. He's like, "Don't worry. God's I'm, like I'll one up you on this. Oh, I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to deal with their injustice. And He sends in Babylon. And then he's like, "Well, what about the injustice of Babylon now, right?" <laughs> right and he's right. like, "I got this." And, right. and, and you know, the woes
0: and 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 Yeah, I don't want to go into a sermon on it. There's always going to be a complaint about sovereignty, right? There's always going to be an objection. It's like when people say this. Like, if you read the book of Job, the the answer to the question why never comes in the book of Job. Mm. The answer to the question why is God just basically says, can you understand me and how I work? And Job's like, oh, shoot, I talked about things I shouldn't have been talking about. (laughs) Are you wise enough to actually (laughs) weigh in on this? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you think you know me? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what I think... If we're all honest, um, there the two overreactions that we have to this like we said in the beginning is to vehemently defend the freedom of, of mm-hmm. the, the human mm-hmm. or to vehemently defend the, uh, the the sovereignty of God. Now I think it's always smarter to, to, to err on the side of the yeah. sovereignty of God because it's so clear but in both cases, I think we're trying to make our minds feel better about having a grasp on the situation. Yeah. And you got to be aware of that. One of my uh, mentors back in the day
1: um, framed it this way uh, you know we, we very often what happens is that we we want more freedom for ourselves mm-hmm. than we're okay with God having for himself. yeah like that's yeah. one of the challenge like I well if I can't, but doesn't God as God have the right? for his own free will which means exercising his dominion and sovereignty and so on. Um, Even
0: if that violates my hopes and dreams. Yeah. I mean,
1: as as it's been said before, please, Lord, violate my hopes and dreams because my (laughs) hopes and dreams are so tainted and so fixed on little things and his desire and will and plan is so much better than what I can come up with on my own and so, yes, Lord, violate my hopes and dreams.
0: Yeah. Being a... Being a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist myself. Now, we won't get into all the five <laughs> points of TULIP, but I'd love to sometime. But uh, the funniest part to me about Romans 9 through 11 is the problems that it causes, that the, the, we as Calvinists will use that to you know, defend the sovereignty of God. But then if somebody brings up eschatology and yeah. reference 9 through 11, we're like, let's not talk about that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Why do you guys always go to <laughs> chapter oh, 9 through 11? 11. <laughs> Clearly, that's just
0: about God's sovereignty. It had nothing to do with the Jews or anything like that. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I I think, again, biblically, to to kind of wrap up what we're talking about. And we could spend a ton of time. I know some people are going to be listening um, my wife might be one of them. But like, I wish you guys would have talked about it longer. Um, yeah, we, but this is a, the, the conversation that we're, we're aiming to, to have and keep going really is we need to land on the humility, mm. um, platform Absolutely. Like, and, and, and being able, like, even as the, you know, the confession that I read holds the tension of God's complete control. And yet it are, you know, the lives that we live are still meaningful within the economy yes. of God. We just defer to his sovereignty and his wisdom over our understanding. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's really the best place for us to land. Um, when and it, comes it to Yeah. It.
1: And I think as, as we follow the grain of scripture, that's where we're going to find ourselves again mm-hmm. and again and again.
0: Mm-hmm. And take heart really. Um, again, like uh, when we look at the book of John, The one major theme is believe. Right. Mm -hmm. So if if any of these doctrines are getting in the way of you truly like surrendering your will, surrendering, you know, your idea of what life should be like to God, that's really where the problem lies. So John Mm -hmm. doesn't want you to get so caught up in the the theological threads that you miss the main point. Like, (sighs) To believe, believe that this is the Son of God. Believe yes. in what God has done for the world, and to call
1: others to that faith. Correct. Like yeah, Jesus's acknowledgement that the Father is the one who who draws hearts and must open eyes never stops him from announcing to others, "You must believe." Yeah, right. Like like being a Calvinist or whatever you want to, however you want to frame it, uh, should never make us less evangelistic. Right. In fact, it should give us great confidence that God's word will accomplish yeah. what he
0: sends it to do. Which he says it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also gives us one of the points that I made this, this weekend, and some of you even listening to the podcast need to hear this too. One of the most brilliant, wonderful things about God's sovereignty is not it's not just that the God who saves you draws you. It's the, the, the son yeah. who saves you keeps you yeah raises i will raise him on the last day multiple times i will raise him on the last day and again i'll say it again if you're like the the greatest part to me of god's sovereignty is if you didn't secure your own salvation you can't lose it amen that's in the hands of the king so what a what a great assurance that we have i mean that's that that we're gonna persevere. Yeah. See what I did there. Yeah. I snuck in the pee of the tulip. But that we will persevere to the end, not because not because we've made such wise decisions, mm. but because the 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 Savior who promised to keep us will keep us, yeah. will present us at the last day yeah. mm-hmm. in eternity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: My favorite verse from the passage you preach is verse thirty-seven. Mm. All that the Father gives me will, will come, come to me. me. Yeah. And whoever comes to me. I will never cast, cast out. out. Yeah. I mean, what incredible man. encouragement. Yeah.
0: yeah. And and like you said, uh, emphasize again, share the gospel. If you're listening to this, you're a Christian. Man, share the gospel. Share share the gospel of Christ even more than you love to share your pet theologies. <laughs> like share don't don't you don't have to go into detail of how God does this. Just that it is available for all who will repent and believe. Amen. So share the gospel. Know that there's great hope because you ain't saving nobody. <laughs> it's the <laughs> Lord. Um, and I think when we land on that uh, position with sovereignty, um, it'll make us more effective for the kingdom. Amen. So, all right. Well, if you have any more questions about this, I, I can't imagine you would, but um, if you have more <laughs> questions about this, you can always submit those. Um, and uh, we'll just continue to, to truck through John. And uh, Easter's like a month away, man. I know, dude. So, um, looking forward to, uh, looking forward to that, but, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening today. Um, you have anything else you want to talk about, shoot us an email and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.